0: Welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, we got our first taste of penalty kicks tonight at 1 a.m. Eastern Time.
1: Ooh, 1 a.m. It's (laughs) 1.24. It is pressing into the very early morning hours. But, um, wow, what I mean, at least that last game was so bizarre in a lot of ways and good in a lot of ways that um, it kept me up and attentive.
0: It felt like a real knockout round game, that nil-nil yeah. draw in regulation, at least, between yeah. Sporting Kansas City and the Vancouver Whitecaps. Before we get to that penalty shootout and all the action that led up to it in that second game of the night, we're going to start with NYCFC's 3-1 win over Toronto FC. Jordan, NYCFC barely snuck through to the knockout round. It took a late goal from Christian Pavon from the penalty spot to have them make the cut in the first place. And then we come out and we get a legitimately good performance from NYCFC. Where has this team been this whole time?
1: Uh- I don't know. <laughs> it was like a shock to me. I turned the, the game on and I was like, oh, good good morning, guys. We've <laughs> decided to join the party. I don't know. I, I feel like this is what we were expecting from New York City FC because they have the least amount of turnaround as far as player personnel go. And it just didn't seem to have that same kind of punch that it has had for a long time. And i I really think those first 20 minutes, they came out and they... To use punched again, but they punched Toronto in the mouth and just said, watch out. We're, we're coming straight for you.
0: I wrote down in my notes that NYCFC are playing like we know they can play. They were moving the ball. They get the early goal with a nice pass in the aftermath of a free kick that's not cleared well by Michael Bradley from Toronto. It's Tinnerholm playing a nice little ball f- with his right foot from the center of the box, outside the box, to Medina on the left side, who then smashes it past the goalkeeper for Toronto FC. That early goal is what allowed NYCFC to take a little bit more of a defensive approach after the goal, maybe, and they get some more pressure on Toronto FC and made life really difficult for them and for Alejandro Pozuelo.
1: Well, I think if you're... NYC FC and you're playing Toronto, you know Toronto wants the ball, right? They're going to want the ball. They're going to want to have a lot of the possession to build up through their central players. And I feel like what NYC did was they accepted that and they said, okay, if we have the ball though and we lose it, we are not going to make life easy on you and you're not going to be able to start any kind of rhythm. And I think Toronto was able to find their rhythm maybe like 20-25 minutes into the first half but by then they were exhausted a little bit by the amount of counter pressure that New York City FC had shown them.
0: The guy who I think was biggest for this NYCFC counter counterpress was young American midfielder slash center back James Sands. There are so many different plays where he's stepping in aggressively either right behind or right in front of Pozuelo or one of the other midfielders Pozuelo playing as a false nine in this game but the idea there is the same. It's Sands coming in, having good starting positioning and being aggressive with his challenges to stop Toronto FC attacks and keep them in their own half, which then allows NYCFC to pick up the ball and start attacks from there.
1: Well, that's actually one of the key plays that I had marked down. 34th minute Toronto was trying to build out through Pozuelo as that false nine. And because of the pressure on his back, he c- couldn't properly lay the ball off to Bradley. And then... The, the reason I pinned this is because I spoke in the game against Minnesota, whoever played Minnesota last. Wow. (laughs) Colorado. It was Colorado when they scored the goal. They, when, uh, Alonso left that space in the holding midfield position to come challenge a ball and Diego Rubio nicked it away and then they started dribbling straight into that space that he left. Uh Matriza does the same thing. He picks the ball up from that misplayed ball off of Pozuelo, who is pressured by Sands, and he dribbles centrally right at the heart of Toronto defense in that vacant holding midfield space. And uh they get a shot on frame. Actually, it's saved by Westberg, a really good right-hand solid save, but it's the same idea, right? That if you're going to leave that unoccupied, but all that pressure comes from the central midfielder.
0: NYCFC's counterpress was one of my favorite things about them in this game. Another one of my favorite things is that goal. In the 55th minute, at this point, NYCFC are up 1-0, and it's Valentin Castellanos who gets the second goal. I love this play, Jordan. I think it's so smart because it all comes off of a quick free kick from, I believe, Matarita, although the camera angle cut away, so it's a little bit impossible to know for certain. But in 99.9% sure it's Maturita who plays the ball quickly up the field to Castellanos after Mitriza had drawn a foul from Aro in NYCFC's half. The speed of play there is perfect for this goal.
1: Joe, this game is about focus in the little details. And it's gonna be even more so as the games come more fast and furious now that it's the knockout rounds and there's more at stake. It's the little things you do. And in two moments, both off of free kicks, both of off of resetting your defense. Toronto didn't do it well enough and they got punished. And yes, it was a brilliant goal. And I think the the ball into space from Morales to Cassianos that he just basically said, I know he's behind me. I'm going to play it in front of him. Right. Not he didn't lose it short there. He played it out in front so he could run onto it. And That was brilliant, but it is Toronto turning off in the wrong moments and losing focus in the wrong moments.
0: Omar Gonzalez is the culprit on this play. He gets beaten badly by Castellanos in the box. Well, actually, he gets beaten to the first ball that Castellanos chests down off of that quick free kick. Then he gets beaten again in the box where Castellanos dribbles right by him with his right foot and finishes to the far post. We see this again and again in this game. Omar Gonzalez cannot defend in space. He cannot defend 1v1. At this point in his career, he should not be put in positions or he cannot be put in positions to defend in those moments because he just does not have the ability. And that's not just an Omar Gonzalez problem, to be honest. It's a Toronto spine problem. Michael Bradley does not have the mobility that he had before. When Josie Altidor is up top or even Alejandro Pozuelo, those guys aren't super mobile defensively. They're not trying all the time. Maybe in counter-pressing, yes, but in a set defensive structure, they're not going to track and move a whole lot to make life difficult for the opposing team. NYCFC ate Toronto's spine in this game. And that includes the third goal where NYCFC dragged the center backs out of the way and Chris Mavinga sort of just gives up.
1: Yeah, I really like how you pointed that out, that it is a spine problem, because if you have a player who isn't mobile, you have to make sure you have someone or the players surrounding them are uber mobile, right? That Mm -hmm. kind of make up for it. And... I didn't think about it like that with Bradley and Gonzalez and Pozuelo even playing that, that, um, false nine tonight from the majority of the game. Really interesting there. I, I think I liked the third goal the best because when, you get a team who is pressing to get a goal, right? At this point, it was two to zero. It's the 80th minute. Uh, I thought that the timing of the substitutions right after that second goal in the 56th minute, uh, Toronto FC brought three subs in, right? So they were like, OK, we, we have to give these subs enough time to try to impact the game. So... Toronto in this moment was stretched because they're trying to go score a goal and they were really, really wide open. And what was so beautiful about New York City and the way that they punished them here is everything was so quick. The pass by Ring, he intercepts the ball, plays it into space for McKay Stevens, who plays it one time, falling away from the ball across the back line. It's maybe a little flick by and maybe not. I don't know, even if it was a dummy, it was the thought that it didn't need to be a lot because every single thing was quick and precise and it punished Toronto perfectly.
0: Toronto do get their goal in the 87th minute. It, it makes it three to one, so not a huge gap narrowed there, <laughs> but it's a long ball that Josie heads down to Patrick Mullins, two strikers off the bench for Greg Vanny. but it, it doesn't matter. It's over at this yeah. point. Toronto FC have lost this game. NYCFC finally turning the tide a little bit here. Potentially just because they're playing up against a defense that's not very good and not very mobile. But encouraging signs for NYCFC and a lot of warning signs for Toronto.
1: Yeah, and now that New York City FC is uh, awake, I think people are people are going to be a little bit more they snuck in, but now they're here and they're ready to go. NYCFC are officially awake.
0: They're moving on to the quarterfinals of this competition. The other team that's moving on to the quarterfinals of this competition, sporting Kansas City after one of the more wild nil-nil draws that you will see leading to a penalty kick shootout.
1: What? it was That's a great way to describe it, and I texted you during the game. I think Vancouver was a part of two of the wildest games in this tournament.
0: (laughs) We had that seven-goal game, right, against the San Jose Earthquakes, and then Weirdly, this nil-nil after regulation was also also pretty wild.
1: I felt like it was. I mean, I was lying in bed, which is not a good idea, people. But it was okay today because I felt like this game kept me up. It was just (laughs) so bizarre. So to set the
0: scene a little bit here, before we get into probably the main talking point that most people are going to be interested in, and that's Thomas Sasal's performance in goal as that third string goalkeeper for the Vancouver Whitecaps. To set the scene, Sporting Kansas City had 35 shots, 8 mm-hmm. shots on target, 3.21 expected goals compared to the Caps' .33 expected goals in regulation.
1: But the Caps actually had five shots on target, which if you look at the shots on target, it's not that different from these teams, right? It's a little bit more even than just the all of the shots and a lot of wild shots that Sporting Kansas City took as well. It is. And that's why
0: I'm grateful that we got the expected goals numbers, Jordan, because I think Mm -hmm. that does speak a little bit more to the quality of chances overall that SKC got. I mean, they had almost three expected goals higher, which does indicate that Sporting Kansas City had a number of higher quality chances. But that gives you an idea of how this game went. Uh Sporting Kansas City trying to break down the Vancouver Whitecaps 4-4-1-1, 4-4-2 block. And a lot of times that meant Thomas Assault standing on his head in goal.
1: I actually thought I know on the graphic it looked like a 441 but I think it was more of a 451 which technically is the same but <laughs> adding that other player into the midfield is different right and it showed that way because the way that Vancouver worked together as a unit defensively throughout the entire game was I tweeted it. I actually was, it was really beautiful in moments because they were together. Like they were all connected to a string. And if the ball went to the right, they were shifting their together, cutting and making every seam so tiny. So SKC could knock it through. It was very frustrating. And I've been in those games. It is very frustrating because you cannot figure out a way to pull these teams apart. And the one thing I did like about the way Vancouver defended is. You notice that they kind of came in waves. There was a, a couple times, especially noted in the in the second half, where they decided to high press a little bit, and they would go and stretch themselves out and get up the field. And then once they they felt like SKC beat them with one pass centrally, they would just retreat. And it was like, okay, let's just get back. Let's get in our block. Let's make it hard for SKC. So I I know it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty if you are just constantly trying to beat this block but if you look at the intricacies of the way that Vancouver played i think that they have to leave there saying hey we we did what we tried to do, what we were trying to do and there were moments where i thought it was actually really beautiful
0: weirdly i agree with you with yeah. how they defended blocking off a lot of those central passing angles skc's most of their chances came off of switches from one wing or one half-space to the other. Uh-huh. Vancouver had numbers packed in the middle, blocking off all those passing angles. That led to a lot of Graham Zussi or Johnny Russell switching the point of attack from one side to the other. Zusi had a, a pass in the first half from that half-space that finds Gatti Kinda's head inside the box. Mm-hmm. And it's a great chance because it takes Vancouver's defense, and it starts with the ball in a space where they're okay to let Sporting Kansas City possess and SKC took advantage of that by playing a dangerous ball from that area for Gary Kinda that Hassal saves again, eight saves for him in this game.
1: Yeah. He was, he was fabulous. And I think the thing that really struck me about him, about Hassal, is he is the third string goalkeeper. And you come into this tournament and he has never looked really out of place. He doesn't try to guess. Like there was no guessing in what he was doing. He was steady. And I was watching his footwork on some of the the plays and the one in particular where Polito where SKC has a beautiful buildup, right? And um the the chance where Hassal pushed it off the post from Polito's shot and Polito's dribbling across the f- face of the goal right along the 18 from his, from Hassal's left to his right and Hassal's tracking it and he's shifting and he's tracking and he's shifting. And right when he's noticing that a shot might come, he like moves his feet a little bit. I don't know. I'm not like technical at what goalkeepers do, but I know that they do like this bounce, like this little bounce where they can then react quicker Like, it keeps them on their toes in in a reactionary Mm -hmm. posture. And he saves... It's a beautiful save. And it's not that he is guessing. He is actually seeing what's happening, and he's reacting purposefully. And I thought that's what really stood out to me.
0: When you talk about reactions and and not over anticipating moments Uh i think back to that tyler miller howler that was against sporting kansas city with that beautiful flick and then the ball moves down the field and miller anticipates that cross that never comes the shot ends up coming from the near post and he's already moved on Hassall wasn't over eager he didn't move too quickly another thing about his game that i i thought was quite good in this match his range He got Mm -hmm. down for saves to palm the ball away. He got up for balls as well to deflect them or or last sort of second reaction saves. He had a lot of different types of saves in this game that shows his versatility as a goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, and I didn't notice until right at the end his distribution, but there is it's in stoppage time and he has a, a goal kick and he played the ball to the left side of their attack. Think of where the half field line meets the touch line, the sideline and so that little like angle that little right angle there and he almost places it right on a dime and Ali Adnan is standing right there and why this is so important in that placement is because you keep it away from the center of the field where more numbers are right now and you put it on the the wing where one you have a player in Ali Adnan who's really good in the air but two if he flicks it on or if he doesn't win it you can try to hunt in that space and push the ball out for a throw-in easily, right? Okay, go out for a throw-in. We'll take a throw-in instead of the team winning the header centrally and coming straight down our throats. I just thought it was a really smart distribution by him.
0: And another on-ball thing. Early on in this game, he has that chop Right? As the oh, pressure from Sporting out, Kansas City right? is coming.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: I almost ignored that because I thought, well, that's gotta be a one-off thing. We're no. not gonna see a whole lot else from this guy in the game. Sporting Kansas City likely are gonna have all sorts of chances. They're gonna get a few goals and it's gonna be over. None of that happened. He continued to impress throughout this match. I got a little bit of flack on Twitter because I said the narrative around him being this baby goalkeeper that we're all rooting for is, is maybe a little bit much. He's 21. He's a fully grown yeah. man. But right. still, I don't I don't want to have that overtake things here. He performed well and I'm glad we analyzed why that is.
1: Also, just imagine if he would have made that save on the penalty where it went through his hands. Oh man.
0: He already had one save in that shootout. Well, maybe not at the time, but overall he had one save anyway.
1: I felt like it was it was going to end up differently. Like he was going to just do pull something out. And then at a certain time, I thought Ali Adnan was going to be in the goal and I would have been like, <laughs> "Okay." Whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If if you'll indulge me, Jordan, for another Sporting Kansas City thing, because they do advance. They are going on to the quarterfinals of this tournament. I don't want to talk about their on-ball work. I want to talk about their defensive work with how they press. Okay. We've mentioned this before in the past, but I think it bears repeating and maybe a little bit more in-depth analysis. The way Peter Vermees has his high press set up, when Sporting Kansas City are pushing up in the attacking half to press the ball. He doesn't have his wingers as those high points alongside Alan Polito. It's the central midfielders in this game. It was Roger Espinosa and Kinda, who are the tempo setters of the press, who are extending out of the defensive shape to press the ball side center back. One of them will press the center back. Alan Polito will still be in the middle, maybe a little bit deeper. And then the other central midfielder is either back covering midfield or getting ready to press up as well. It makes perfect sense to me. It's not rocket science. It's a pretty simple setup. But Peter Vermees' idea to have his two most energetic players on the field, likely with Kinda and Roger Espinosa, having those guys be the catalyst to the press and be the ones setting the line so often, it makes perfect sense to me. And it worked a lot in this game, especially in the first half. I took note of sequences where Kinda and Espinosa were wreaking havoc in the attacking half and making life really difficult for the Whitecaps to play out.
1: It also makes sense to me because if those are those players to initially set that pressure, what happens is then the center back usually feels pressured to just play, play the ball long. Well, then they're, they're drifting back in a pocket of space that they've actually created through their pressure in their movement. And if SKC wins the ball, they know that they're an option to create going forward. Then you have your wingers who can run with pace in beyond the back line, right? Because they're still a little bit deeper than those players that have gone to press. So I think it makes a lot of sense if you think about those players being uh, the next link up play, the next link up player in the distribution and giving the wingers an ability to run the channels. And
0: adding even one more layer to it, I'd never thought it through this much, but keeping along that trail, when SKC are in full-on possession, it's Alan Polito dropping between the lines and almost always Gaddy of pushing up into that central attacking spot. Having him be the high point of the press as well, or one of the high points in the press as well, also lends itself to a quick transition from pressure, defensive pressure, to attacking transition to possession. Yeah. Those things can be streamlined really easily and having players in the right spots already when you get to those moments because of that initial defensive pressing setup.
1: Yeah. I thought that SKC did have a hard time trying to create going forward because the center backs for Vancouver weren't biting on Polito dropping between the lines. Hmm. They weren't biting on that. So then that gap that usually Polito creates and the midfielders or the wingers can run into that space, which we've seen time and time again for SKC, that gap wasn't being created because the lines were so close. A lot of the times Like maybe 5, 10, maybe 15 yards that um, the center backs didn't need to go there because even if the ball got into Polito, a holding midfielder could get there quick enough to try to deflect or just get a poke on the ball to help defend. So I think that kind of threw off the way the SKC wanted to attack.
0: Is that the solution? to stopping Alan Polito, or, or one yeah, of the solutions? I don't solutions. know,
1: maybe. I, they, I think that now that they see it, they'll be able to adjust and figure out, okay, how do we how do we still be effective in this? But um, it, it just wasn't what they had seen yet.
0: I'm going to be watching for that now. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. Listeners, I hope you're watching for that as well. We have gone through the second day of knockout round action, the second day of round of 16 games. We'll be back again tomorrow, Jordan.
1: Yeah, we will. It's time (laughs) to go to bed. It's 2 a.m. We're going to bed.
0: Listeners, thank you for listening. And we will be back again tomorrow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody.